0: Listener
1: Production Uh, Welcome to Fail with Greta Lee Jackson where I speak to well-known and successful people about moments where they failed and it eventually turned into something that helped them on the road to success. People can go to crazy lengths to get attention. I really wanted some reason to be special when I was a kid. I was a bit of a weirdo and I didn't have many friends. Usually just one best friend who tolerated my weirdness for as long as possible before I got a new best friend. So feeling unloved and unappreciated, I would look for ways to stand out that were unconventional. Most notably, I would put glitter onto my mosquito... I fucking can't believe I did this. What a dickhead. Most notably, I would put glitter onto my mosquito bites and tell my classmates I was bitten by a fairy. And of course, those classmates would demand to see the fairy that bit me, so I'd take them to a bush or garden and just look around for the fairy that was never there for a bit. I guess it was a way to force people to spend time with me. It's scary to think I was so deceptive and so manipulative and just plain weird at such a young age, but I've totally grown out of that stuff now, except for the part about covering myself in glitter. That I still do quite frequently. OK, maybe I am still massively weird. Someone who knows about how deliberately seeking a lot of attention can backfire is Dan Illich. Dan seems to be connected to the success stories of most people I know in some way or another. Whether it's headlining a stand-up show, sharing your content, attending screenings or launches of stuff you've done, or even auditioning you for a TV show, Dan's both a fixture and a connector. But he knows that success can't come without a few setbacks. Many years ago, when he was frustrated with the lack of ticket sales for a show he was putting on, he decided he would make sure people knew about it, but it didn't go as planned. We know each other like on the we, we've got mutual friends mm. and mutual like work colleagues and things like that. We've been kind of on the scene at different times and same times. Are we are like I know who you are and I sure. know stuff about you. Uh, like just the odd gig and the odd show.
0: And this sounds and like I, immigration. I know about you. you know, I, know <laughs> st- I know stuff about you. Stuff about you. No, good is stuff. There, is there anything you want to tell me? No, but
1: everybody knows, everybody knows Dan Illich. Like you say your name in Sydney and everybody knows who you are, what you've done. Um, and I, I don't know you like personally, so I guess that's a chance to kind of sure. do this as yeah. well. Um, but, yeah, how would you describe who you are, what you do?
0: Well, I think I am different things at different times. Uh, right now I'm uh, Dan Illich hanging out on the couch <laughs> If you got me six months ago, it's a lot more Wait, am I pronouncing
1: bit. your last name
0: wrong? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I've decolonised my name uh, in order to get a job at the ABC next oh. time. Like, I can't, no, I can no longer be Illich because it's too oh. anglicised. So I've put the ch back in. Illich, okay. Yeah, See, so
1: that shows you how well I
0: know you. Only, do you know what? I only changed that a couple of years ago. Okay, I only Illich. really lent into the Serbian name. Okay. a couple of years ago.
1: to For your bankability?
0: For my bankability, well, yeah. How
1: things have changed. Yeah, I can't... Like Tony I can, Curtis, I, you know, was Bernie Schwartz, <laughs> that kind of thing. That was at Hollywood back in right, the day and yeah. now it's changed. Yeah. Yeah. I can
0: no longer afford to be a white guy in media. So <laughs> <laughs> I have to be uh, exoticized. So yeah. I've, I've got to I've put the chip back in. Okay. In order to secure my next job. <laughs> Got, it, got that, it. I mean that—that's the story, and I'm going to say learning a lot about Serbian heritage at the same time. Oh, really? That's great. Learning, okay. learning about my people. And I've whose whose who's culture I have shunned for thirty years because you know I didn't want to be associated with. Uh, I wanted to be more but, more white than I was Balkan, but now I'm you know learning lots more about it. It's now kind of, you can. Of, but
1: now when it, when the time suits you, you can breeze back in. Yeah,
0: I can breeze back in because um, easy come, easy go. I'm a fair weather fellow. My personality, or rather my identity, is often wrapped up in my own work. Yep. And when I haven't created anything in a while, I get a bit antsy. So I'm looking for the next thing. I'm looking for the next reincarnation. Reincarn- in- I'm like yeah. Madonna before Rain. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to work out what is the next song. What's yeah. The, what's the next song, Gertrude?
1: No, it's the next step. I mean, it's like it's daunting but it's exciting and, you know, when you are creative, you do you do involve your identity in what you're making a lot of the time. And your mental state can kind of reflect that. Yeah, you know. totally. Yeah.
0: like It's really, I mean, it's really difficult. Like even my heroes have that problem. Um, Who
1: are
0: they? Gretelie uh, Jackson. No, um, stop it. Uh, well, hanging out with Tim Minchin is really interesting because you know, he's had a really tough year and with his film and stuff like that. Uh, falling over at DreamWorks and other things like that. I know
1: nothing about that.
0: So yeah, he had a big mm. film at DreamWorks, but mm. it kind of fell over when there was a whole bunch of cost cutting when they did a merger with Comcast. So it was really bad. Yeah, right. And it wasn't personal; it's was just like sad. But it's like you got to re- you got to remind your friends. You're like, oh Tim, you're still Tim Minchin. You're still a fucking still hero. Like all this
1: stuff you've done. You're still yeah. a fucking
0: hero to all of us, and we would all appreciate it if you just made the next thing, so we could say, oh, that's our friend Tim doing really well again, yes. and he's doing it, like he's getting back into that. Mode, and I feel even though on my career is no inherent <laughs> different career scale, it's it, the little things on a much smaller scale, much m- much tinier level. I, I suffer the same sort of imbalance when things are going well, things are going great when I'm making good things, no matter what level they're at. I feel like I feel like as a creator that you know everything's go, yep, um, and I can. I can easily put my finger on who I am and what I do and what I, what I make. So much of my identity is based around what I make. Um, and when I'm in a bit of a fallow period, I get a bit down. But now I'm, I've hit a, I hit the down point probably a few months ago, but now I'm on the, back, on the way up trying to figure out when the next things I'm going to make are... Is
1: that like, it's part and parcel though, isn't it? I just accept that that's going to happen in our careers. Like. Sure,
0: and I, I just don't think the same people who, who work in like IT or or are lawyers or, uh, I, I don't know, uh, any other job, uh, uh, librarians who work with the Dewey Decimal System, I don't know if they have that same identity problem because their work is a lot more steady or they can separate it they can separate and they yeah. they, they get to be creative outside of their work but mm. yeah it's anyway I, I don't know I'm I don't know if other people have that who aren't crea- or who are creative but aren't in creative occupations have that same feeling
1: yeah exactly
0: we started off doing comedy um, with my university group of friends oh, same. Um, so people you might know like Felicity Ward Jordan oh, yeah. Jordan Escopolis.
1: So that's all Sydney Uni people.
0: Heath Franklin, uh, yeah. Uh, so we we formed a group called the Third Degree, which is like the best of the sketches of the Sydney uni- Sydney's universities. I saw your guys' shows. Probably. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: I definitely did. It was like, it was meant to be the best of the best to go to the third degree. (laughs) The best of the best. The best of the best. And we got, we had to get ideas from watching third degree. Like that's how, well, ideas on the standards we should do. Yeah, that's the reputation it had was going to the third degree because that's the standard you should be aiming
0: for. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. We all, uh, you know, we all we all work together. Yeah. It was pretty, it it was a really good, it was really good energy back then. Like when you're young doing that stuff, it's like, oh my God, we're like, we're like really doing it. It was really we're like,
1: cool. We're like we're like um, Rick Mail and Adrian Edmondson. We're like <laughs> we're like the Monty Python guys because you know that's where well they started, wasn't it? Yeah, Diversity.
0: we did that, our first show was in two thousand three as we did a sitcom. Chris McDonald, who runs Laughing Stock Productions, wrote a sitcom called um, "The Beatification of Newt Burton and the Great Viagra Robbery," and we did that in af Two in, um, in in in. Uh, at Melbourne Comedy Festival and we didn't know what the hell we were doing. Mm. Um, for starters, we were in at Athenaeum too, which is an extremely expensive venue. <laughs> oh, far out, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah.
0: And we almost went home halfway through that comedy festival um, because... I
1: have
0: gone home halfway
1: through a comedy festival. High five.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I have bailed. sometimes it's so hard. Some, oh. some Comedy festival is like one of the hardest things you'll do. Mm. Um, and when there's like six of you trying to make, break even on a show... We're all living in a backpackers. I think that incarnation. So but- Newt Burton, third degree one, third degree two, third degree three. We were still all living in the Franklin Street backpackers in uh, in Melbourne, mm. in the same dorm <laughs> <Far>
1: <laughs> for, the, for the few years. So. Years. <laughs> yeah. Far out.
0: Uh, Claudia Doherty was in the show. Charlie Garbo was in that show. Nick Maddick was in that show. Cass Fitzgerald was in that show. We had a lot. Of, there was a lot of good people yeah, in that wow. in, in that show. And um, so we took that down to Melbourne for a couple of years in a row and then um, uh, the second time we came down, Glenn Robbins saw the show Uh, and he and Nick and uh, John Pinder, the great John Pinder from Mm. Australia, the uh, Sydney uh, impresario of comedy, kind of put us and Glenn and Nick Murray, the television producer, together to talk about doing a pilot. And yeah. so they pitched a pilot to 10. 10 gave us some money to sit in a room and write for a month and then we presented that writing to to 10. And Tim Minchin was actually in that pitch meeting right, with us, right, playing right. songs with us. He was actually part of the writing team back then so cool. before he blew up. And so we got, a, we got a pilot, we got six episodes, then we got 13 episodes and then we got... Another 13 ordered straight after our first six had aired. So it was like. That's
1: what was called
0: the third degree? uh, No, initially it was called the third degree. And then the show went to be called. Because the third degree was too similar to the American Rosso name, which was scheduled the hour before called the B Team. Right. The network said, hey, we want you to change the name. And we were like, what? And it was like a. We were like, we were livid for a whole week. We were like writing sarcastic names on the board. Um, It was like. Right, let's fuck Channel Ten. We're going to give them the the longest name ever, and they're going to have to deal with it. (laughs) So we went for the Ronnie Johns Good Times.
1: Oh, it was Ronnie Johns. I thought so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Campfire
0: Jamboree, half hour show now on television. So, fuck you, Channel Ten. So we're like, fuck you, Channel Ten. We'll give you the longest fucking name ever. (laughs) The Ronnie Johns Good Times Campfire. Did they
1: they change it to Ronnie Johns Half Hour? Yeah, they did.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They did. Still, up being titles. It still says they're only Ronnie Johns good times. Oh, I January, remember seeing show that now on television.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I remember seeing that go to TV and being. I think I auditioned for it. Totally got the. Didn't even get past. You know. Oh, I'm sorry.
0: Don't worry. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Were
1: you there on the day? Were you picking people? No,
0: okay. no, no. Because well, no, it was all third degree people. Yeah, because
1: I was at that audition and I I remember it came onto TV and I was so bitter and so jealous that I didn't get picked for this thing because I was like, I am sketch comedy. I'm the embodiment. Don't you understand? And then I got really down on myself and thought I was I sucked because I didn't get on that show.
0: When I first did Ronnie John's, I was pretty distraught by the whole thing because everyone else was extremely talented. Yeah, right. And I didn't quite know how to do it properly. Uh, I was just, like, in with the right crowd at the right time kind of thing.
1: Like Ben Elton. <laughs> Australia's Ben Elton. Like, and
0: like Ben Elton, I too have written a musical, so <laughs> no big deal. Oh, cool.
1: We're going to get to that one. We'll um, know
0: about that, Yeah, so it was, it was one of those things where um, I was kind of, I was just kind of like flying by the seat of my pants. I felt like I knew what was funny, but I really didn't know. And when we got this job, it was when we got the show. It was a true baptism of fire, and it took me a long time to acknowledge that I wasn't as good as the other guys. <laughs>
1: right? Oh, okay. All right.
0: And that I needed to work harder at it. And, I, and the second season was a lot better for me because I cause I worked a lot harder at writing a lot more. Yeah. And getting stuff done. So that was that was a very that was a very tricky. Tricky time, like looking back then, it was I have wonderful mixed feelings about the whole process. And we're still very all all the cast. We're all still pretty close today. Like we we have a little Facebook chat group that we um, rag on each other in. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's one of those things where, like that was a kind of a unifying experience for all of us Mm because it was. Extremely difficult, and we didn't know what the hell we were doing. We we're just making mm. up as we go along, and we 24, had great guidance.
1: Twenty four—that's young. we well, so lucky, especially. And when you're like second season, I still get a pang of jealousy. I'm like,
0: <laughs> second season on Channel Ten.
1: Fuck <laughs> off! I get a little bit like I don't know if I would ever say that phrase myself. So I did. It's funny. I get a, I get a pang of jealousy.
0: there. <laughs> well, you've you've done so much stuff with your group that like. You know, One,
1: second season's not the vocabulary though, is
0: it? No, but lots of different projects. It feels like each project you do as a team, it's it's like an, oh, the next maybe. season or something.
1: Maybe, maybe, but like again, we're in our thirties. Like twenty four is effing young. Yeah, that's really, really young. young.
0: Yeah, really young to have
1: yeah. that. Like yeah. that's thrown in the deep end.
0: Yeah, really tough. Yeah, yeah. But uh, in hindsight, really fun and amazing experience. And you know, Nick Murray, the executive producer of Jigsaw at the time, he still he still was like the one of the big producers at CJZ he said you know what guys this never happens this never happens not it never happens that we go to a comedy festival we see a show we take it to a network and they commission some writing then they commission a pilot then they commission a season then a second season that never happens it's true it's fucking <laughs> true and and we're like yeah, come on, Nick, we're awesome. Of course it, of course oh, it was going to happen. yeah, you know? yeah, yeah.
1: Of come on, what do you expect, mate?
0: <laughs> and years later now I'm like, oh, yeah, that yeah, it never happens. I've been trying to get my own shows up. No, yeah, the, Nick was right. We should have listened to it. We should have
1: listened. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're 24. Uh, but
0: we were very lucky to have extremely good mentors right. um, look after us, like, like Nick Murray, like John Pindar, like um, uh, Glenn Robbins. And that, those guys were so good, mm. so good to us.
1: Um, so that's your first like foray into that's the first big the one. Yeah. that was the
0: first big one. But prior to that, I did work for three months as a production assistant or junior associate producer at Australia's ah. Funniest Home Videos.
1: It's a title someone's given you <laughs> to make sure you do something <laughs> that they don't want to do for free.
0: And Australia's
1: I, Funniest Home Videos, what it, did you have to do? It like, crushed
0: my soul. Oh. I had to put the clips in, uh, in order of least funny to most funny and you knew you did a good job when, because we all worked out of cottages at Channel 9, uh, all these old cottages, and you knew you did a good job if you could hear the boss down the other end of the cottage laugh his head off and go, Ha, 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 ha. ball terror! You, <laughs> you knew that was the sign that you did a good job. But what's
1: job. the metric that you're measuring funniness? I like, uh, no. uh, know, like, well, how many,
0: how many, um, you know...
1: How many balls are taired? How many kid
0: balls? Uh, well, ten. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, we had a segment called 10 greatest balls, uh, 10 greatest groin hits, you know. It, it's stuff that you see... It's basically ball
1: in the grind.
0: What you see, what the kids now see on Fail Army or whatever yeah, or on that's the internet. What it was, that's, yeah. all, that's what it was. But it had a wacky voiceover over the top, and I was—I uh, really did not enjoy that experience <laughs> at all. <laughs> all right. And uh, I left about three months in because it was—I just, I found it so soul destroying. Yeah. Uh, but then a few months later, we got Ronnie Johns. That's so, awesome. You know, it was that's one of those awesome. things.
1: And what was after that? Were there an, um? What's another thing you're really proud of after that?
0: Uh, went with Ron John's, I moved down to Melbourne and I at the same time and I was doing at the same time of all of this, I started being a filmmaker in my own right, making little kind of parody films and, and um sketches online uh, external to the show. And the first big one that I um, did that got millions of hits? Was I made a parody of the "Where the bloody hell are you?" campaign? Yeah, back in 2006, a long, a long time ago, and it got in the space of a couple of weeks, it got like one and a half million hits on YouTube, and that YouTube was like brand new. Yeah, which
1: that? is yeah, it would have been really an extraordinary was, at the time. It was yeah. really
0: extraordinary at the time, and when your video gets one and a half million hits in two weeks, lots of people see it, including the lawyers of Tourism Australia, and I know where this
1: is going. <laughs> I don't know where this is going. Yep, go
0: on. And I got a letter from um, Gilbert and Tobin, saying, the old C and D, the old <laughs> cease
1: and desist.
0: Cease and desist, yeah, cease and desist. They wanted me to take my, the clip off my website because it was also on my website at the same time uh, because I'd used the same music as them.
1: That's the only thing they could get you on because under parody law, you're fine.
0: And and I and they couldn't have gotten they, they shouldn't have got me on that at all because I actually got a different song commission <gasps> from my friend Leonardo. Oh. And the only similarity between my version of the song and their version of the song was the word nah. And I said, I said this in an email. I said, mm, well, thank you, Gilbert and Turban. Mm, the only similarity between my version of the song and your version of the song is the word nah. Uh, so I've taken the offending version down, and I've put up a la version, a do version, a whistle version and a Crazy Frog remix version. <laughs> uh, it was 2006. That, and you shouldn't was, judge me. Uh, no,
1: no, that was, that came in second. You came in first with as many hits and then Crazy Frog was, <laughs> the Crazy Frog ringtone download was the second most popular <laughs> thing in
0: 2006. And so I never heard from Gilbert and Turbin ever again. But. Good. Was, it was one of those moments. It was like that, that was like the catalyst for me for digital content. Yeah, and I was like, whoa! I've been on TV for the last year, and I'm pretty sure one and a half million people haven't seen anything I've made on TV. Yeah, right. And this is the first thing that I've made where uh, I got lots of media requests and hits, and um, I was doing interviews all around the world about it. Sure. And I was like, oh my god. This is addictive. Yep. Like you're talking like back when we were, when I was 25, uh, my ego was still as big as when I was 24. Right. So I thought I was king of the world and I thought I was <laughs> I thought it was That's like the like peak of I thought it was the peak. I was like, yeah, this is it. I'm, I'm king. I'm the king. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on the BBC. I'm on Hong Kong CNN. Oh, yeah, this is the best. <laughs> Um, it is
1: addictive though, because I remember when when Activewear went viral, like we weren't sleeping, like of course. like
0: Activewear, yeah. Christian
1: and Adele Future. were like, we're like feed the kid and then like not shower and just keep watching the hits. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. Like they they were like it's like crack. It's, it's yep, yeah, totally like yeah, crack. And yeah, there's
0: been a f- I've gone viral. I've made stuff that's gone viral so many times now that if I it definitely if it doesn't get a million hits, I'm like, well, that was a failure. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, there was a couple of times where I made a couple of things for Fusion. I'm like, this is going to get a million hits and it doesn't. I'm like, yeah. yeah. And like some things, that, some things that will get a million in a day, I'm like, if this doesn't get four million, it'll be a failure. <laughs> it's like. Oh, no. wow. So then, funny. It's like, that's like the bar, the minimum bar now is like a million. No, yeah, <laughs>
1: well, that's a good bar to be setting. And so if you, okay, so from that big ego then, from this ego of being yeah. 25, what has been, has it gotten, ever gotten you into strife?
0: I've done so many dumb things. I'll tell you where, here's something I'm deeply embarrassed by. Okay, go on. Uh, and I really regret doing because my ego was out of control. And it, my ego gets me in trouble all the time. Okay, And it's like a hallmark. of It's, like, it's the hallmark of my work, really. That's why I do the stuff I do. Um, 2008, um, I wrote a musical about the Beaconsfield mine disaster. And it was oh, called yeah. Beaconsfield, a musical in A-flat minor. Rightio. And we put that on at the Melbourne Fringe Festival. Okay. And I had all the best people I knew in it. I, I flew down to Beaconsfield to write it. To, to interview um, the locals and put their stories in it and that was really great. So I, I felt like I had a really good script and and I th- felt like I was really coming along and I had some great people working on it. I had um, Luke Jocelyn direct it, Nigel O'Brien, who's like the head of music NIDA, do the music. Mm. Toby Truslove was in it, um, Kate McLennan was in it, uh, Amanda Buckley was in it. It was a really fun show and really funny but we had it on the, on the Butterfly Club in Melbourne and it was a 30-seat room and we weren't selling any tickets. And I tried to put all the – I tried to get all the publicity together for it and I tried to get it out to as many outlets as possible in Melbourne but no one was running the press release or wanted to do interviews or anything like that. So I was like, well, where's one place that I can just get a media hit? Just, you know, maybe, maybe I'll get a media hit in Tasmania in Launceston. Um, where Beaconsfield is. So I emailed the Launceston Examiner. I said, hey, are you doing the show, blah, blah, blah. I don't know if you want to write something about it. Maybe someone from Tasmania will come to the show, <laughs> fly over the Bass Strait to watch the show. But you
1: get you get like, you re- get reachy. You reach for things at those yeah, times, yeah. don't you? Yeah, you go yeah, go deep, go
0: yeah. deep. I, I just Because I had all these great, so I had all these wonderful people, right, uh, in the show in 2008 and I didn't want, them to play to no one. Oh, totally. If it was my own show, if it was like just stand up. You just up, wear it. But I then just, with all those
1: other people, you're like, oh, you I'm, feel like it's a
0: responsibility. I'm letting all these people down. Like I've dragged Toby Trustlove and Kate McLennan to perform to no one. <laughs> 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 oh, and myself. I was in it too. Oh, so, oh, yeah, I wanted to perform too. Yeah. Uh, on this tiny stage in a room about as big as this room we're in now. Um. So, Lance is an examiner. Call me back straight away. Like, what is going on? Why are you doing this? This is a horrible thing. Uh, and I was like, and all I could think of was to say, all I could think of was like, I'm just going to tell you the most facetious jokes I can think of just to get attention. Yeah, it was the first right. me, the first media play for me. It was just like, oh yeah, we have a song called Carlton Cardiac. It's about Richard Carlton having a having a cardiac, and about how the media has double standards when it comes to him, and blah blah blah. And oh yeah, the show's called A Flat Minor because uh, because it's very difficult to write a, a a rock opera. Blah blah blah. It was just like we're just like I was just like. So flippant with my answers.
1: Right. Over potentially a um, uh, sensitive subject uh, Potentially, yeah. yeah a,
0: a man died. Yes. Um, which is bad news. Uh, but the story, the the, the show was about m- media, confected media outrage and um, it was also about the media exploiting a small town for their own gains. So it was all about- I can get behind that. It was all about Channel 9, versus Channel 7 and exploiting the town and-, um, and uh, who was that chick who used to host Today Tonight? <laughs> what was her name? Oh. Uh, Nomi. Oh, Nomi Robson. Nomi Robson. She was in it, and um, we had a, like a, a pet well, lizard.
1: A character was a character. A, character, okay. ca- character.
0: Character. character Nomi Robson, oh, Robson was in it. Yeah. Uh, and we had this pet. She, do you know if you remember student Steve Irwin's funeral? She was broadcasting with a pet lizard on her shoulder. No, I don't remember that. Yeah, it was really funny. Oh so my we God. made we had a pet lizard. We had a, like a liver, lizard puppet character. <laughs> It was in this three-way love triangle with Naomi Robson and Eddie Maguire. It was very funny. <laughs> and the Lizard had its own solo. Like, it was so bizarre, so weird and funny. Anyway, so the next day I went to, I went to bed and I got a phone call that night from Chris McDonald, uh, my old EP from Ronnie Johns. Right. Who's like, he, used to, he runs a Laughingstock. He's like, oh, Dan, uh, I was just listening to Tony Delroy's What the Papers Say, uh, where they read tomorrow's news today. <laughs> you're on the front page of The Age tomorrow. I'm like, what? Yeah, Beaconsfield's on the front page of The Age tomorrow. I'm like, oh, shit. So I go to my website, take my, this is back before Twitter and Facebook and and stuff like that. Yeah,
1: in your HTML.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I had to log into my HTML, take my personal details on my website, put my agent's details up and I changed the little blurb on the front page of my website, like a little blog update, which was back then was kind of very similar to Twitter. I was like, oh, I just heard we're on the front page of The Age Tomorrow. It's going to be a busy day. <laughs> and uh, I, I texted my, my manager at the time, who was Monica Kiley in, in Sydney, I said oh, I'm going to be on the front page of the Age tomorrow. You might have to field some phone calls for me. And sure enough, the first phone call started like at six a.m. Wow. Okay. Uh, and it was like the Matt and Joe show uh, from Fox FM. They're like, "Whoa, what have you done? Oh, this is wacky. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> uh, tell us about the show. All right, great. You can go see to at the fringe festival. Blah blah blah." And then the next phone call was Neil Mitchell. It's like, you're the worst person in the world. Blah blah blah. Would you make Would you make jokes about Hitler? And I was like, well, Mel Brooks has already done that. Oh, well, how dare you? And, I, and the, all the rest of the phone calls were of the Neil Mitchell variety. Oh, uh, <laughs> <Just,
1: laughs> outrage.
0: Just outrage. But
1: that's ironic because that's what the show was about. <laughs> exactly.
0: Oh, right. Exactly. And around that time I'd also been a video journalist at Fairfax. so I, uh, And I, I'd never done journalism before but I'd been to enough press conferences to know that I need to hold a presser. So like I yeah. <laughs> I was like I organized a press conference at 10.30 outside the venue. Uh, and if you wanted to come along, you could come and do the press conference. And then I we we were all meant to do a rehearsal at the house, and we got to the house at 10, and I said, You guys have to follow me to the venue. We're gonna have to go to the, the venue. <laughs> so we turn up to the venue and I'm with Kate McClennan and Kate McLennan turns to me and as, as there's like Fifteen cameras all set up outside the Butterfly Club and, like, 20 journalists and Kate turns to me and says, what the fuck have you done, Dan? (laughs) Uh, And we hadn't even rehearsed the show properly and they wanted to get a shot of it. So we put on, we got them to set up their cameras while we we rehearsed a song. We got them to leave the venue, then come back in and film us Doing our rehearsal, and then I went out and answered questions, and I was so nervous. Yeah, and I thought I was killing it. I thought I was like coming back with zingers, but the answers I was coming back with were funny and facetious. But also, the look in my eyes was filled with so much terror. Uh, I looked like I was shitting my pants the entire time because you
1: knew what it could go a different way and put. Or... Yeah, all of a
0: sudden I become like the Australia's most hated man. Yeah, uh, so. Yeah, it was just one of those things where that was. Um, yeah, that was.
1: How did it go after? What happened? What
0: ended up happening? Oh, we sold out.
1: Oh, uh, and we brilliant. got and we, and we
0: got five stars in the age. And um, and the night, the first, the night of the first show, we did so well. Like my brother, who's in the army, was like on opening night, called me up and said, "Hey Dan, do you want me to send some of the boys around?" A couple of boys are quite happy to go around and, you know, make, keep an eye on things. <laughs>
1: He was giving you heavies. Your brother was. Your brother was contracting out some hired goons.
0: Some, some taxpayer-funded goons.
1: <laughs> so good. He's
0: like, I can send some of the troops around if you want. I'm like, no, I think it would be right.
1: But that's. But I still think that is a success. Like that's a big risk doing that. And um. And then look, you are you got some hate, obviously, but in the end, you got what you needed to get, which was selling out.
0: It was really traumatic that those first couple of days before we opened, uh, it was like 20, 48 hours, like 48 hours of like media hate. Yeah. Like I was, I don't know why Why I was the only thing in the media.
1: And why? Did, and days. how did that feel? Were you worried? Oh, or? I was
0: just like, I was tired, devastated. You know, you were talking about watching the hits go up. Mm. Well, it's kind of on the inverse of that where the hits are coming to you. So like people are like, calling you on the phone and I'm like, I'm trying to balance that. We need to rehearse the show, get the show made but also the, I know the publicity is good but also the publicity is driving me insane because I walk away from every conversation feeling like an asshole. and mm. luckily I had great people around me. I had my best friends working on the show with me, making me feel good and I was like at the lowest point where you have enough people tell you you're the worst person in the world, you tend to believe it? Yes. Anyway, yeah. so I've told the story before but this part of the story I, did, I didn't tell Um, is when we put on the show for the first night and we all went to the North Belmont town hall to decompress and have a drink. And I was like in a daze. Like I was just like exhausted in Mm. a daze. And there was a dancing competition happening on stage at the the Fringe Festival at the Fringe Hub and people weren't really into it but people on stage, they were having a great time. So I walked backstage and grabbed a packet of twisties and got nude and like walked across the back of the stage really nonchalantly (laughs) Like was eating, someone else
1: dancing at the time? With
0: people, like six people dancing in front of me. They couldn't see me. The audience could see me, but they didn't. And the moment I started walking across nude, the whole audience turned and started cheering. And these dancers thought it was for them. And they were busting a gut <laughs> trying to out-dance each other. And I kept walking across stage. And then I walked across again.
1: <laughs> but why did you get nude and go on stage? Were you pissed or was it just like, you were oh, just like, fuck it all?
0: I was like, I was fuck it all. I yeah. was like, the world is like... Attacking me, I can't do anything. I was like, felt so out of control. I was, I felt like the world was like collapsing in on me.
1: Mm.
0: And by like, strangely, like weirdly, like being naked on stage, you've got me- nowhere to go.
1: It's that's it. You got that's, nowhere to go. The, yeah.
0: But also, it's like I've got the control back. Yep. I feel like, oh man, I've got the control back. I've got, like this is it. I'm back and I reset and I was back in a good mood and the next day I got a phone call from James Carlton who's yep. Richard Carlton's son who's also a journalist at the ABC. Okay. And he said, Dan, I, want, I just want to give you a phone call to say um, that uh, we don't hate you and uh, the family doesn't hate you and my dad certainly wouldn't have hated you. In fact, what, what you've done is the kind of thing my dad would have loved to have seen on stage.
1: Right, Okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: And I was like, Fuck. that's that's
1: that's nice.
0: Just the idea that someone went to the trouble of finding my like a, someone who wasn't a journalist wanting to rip me to shreds.
1: Said the link to the Fa- Carlton family. Yeah,
0: yeah, found or found my number and called me to say, "Hey, I just wanted to say
1: Oh right, you know. right. Yeah, it's nice, and that and kind of like, makes it all right because one one call of those can like drown out twenty hater calls. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, or yeah, or twenty million. So 20 yeah. Million. yeah. <laughs> anyway, that was that was pretty fun.
1: So it was a it was a success in the end, despite all that. Like was, what a roller coaster!
0: <laughs> just a ro- just a roller coaster. Oh yeah, just crazy. I used to be in scouts. Uh, for a long time, and the reason I was in it for a long time is because I love doing a show called the Cumberland Gang Show, which is a scout and guide stage show.
1: Like like a annual thing.
0: Yeah, like oh, okay. a like a review review. Yeah. Oh, pre review days review. Yeah, yeah. pre review. So I did it from when I was like. Thirteen, fourteen to when I was about twenty-one. Oh, okay, <laughs> it was probably I spent probably a bit too long in there. Some people go to a- a- ATYP. Yes. Um, yes. Some people go to Nama, uh, Nida Summer Skills Workshops. I go to Scouts. the Paramount Riverside Theatre and dress up in that's not bad in women's clothes and make jokes on stage. So okay. that's that's where that's where I learned to love like comedy. Yeah, and right. I got I felt like I was in a really special place growing up um, doing that, doing that show made you feel really good. Yeah. Um, it was a really cool thing to do, made a lot of good friends. And it was one of those things where you're doing it in this little bubble of this little ecosystem that no one else knows you're doing it. And you think you're pretty good at what you do. And then you kind of step out and you realize, oh, you, you're not as good as those people, but then you, then you kind of get into another ecosystem and you kind of, um, you feel pretty good about where you are and then you have to go to another ecosystem, like a bigger ecosystem. It happens every, every time. Every stage you kind of do some growing uh, and then you realise you've got some work to do to kind of feel comfortable. And I feel like that's where I am right now. Like I feel right now, I'm in a bit of a slump right now, but I really want to do something bigger than what I've been doing in my career because I am because I feel like I've done a lot of things that I've wanted to do. And mm, so now I'm, trying to, to be in, yeah. now I'm trying to figure out how can I, do the next big thing that's not only will allow me to create big things, but also provide financial security because this career really hasn't done that <laughs> for <Okay>. me. <laughs> Talk <Don't> about it. <sighs> and so, anyway, yeah, I don't know.
1: That's what people say. They go, why? Why are you doing it if it doesn't pay? Like, why? Just get a job that pays. Like, don't you need money? And people always say that. You go, but you don't. You, like, you don't understand. Like,
0: you don't get it. You yeah,
1: don't get it. Like, it doesn't matter that it does. I mean, money'd be nice, but I just have to do this thing. I have to make this thing.
0: Yeah, I have to make it. I have to create this thing.
1: Well, I really, really look forward to whatever your next thing is. Yeah. we could have a chat about it. We could actually. <laughs> like now, I'm gonna. <laughs> what the fuck do I know? But I really look forward to seeing what it is. Yeah, it's it's gonna be great and. Uh, I think it's going
0: to be a podcast and failure. All right.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Dan. What really stood out to me was Dan's determination because even though everything was telling him something was a bad idea, he stuck with it and trusted his gut that it would work out in a situation where most people would have caved. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to share your fails with me, you can contact me on my Facebook page or Twitter.
0: Listener.